The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 49, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing good, Brandon. I had a brush with celebrity today. How are you doing? <laughs> yes. Yes. You told me about this <laughs> off air. I, I can't say I'm very happy about it. So, Why? Because uh, it's so awesome? Yes. Primarily. <laughs> Tell us all about your, your brush with stardom. Sure. Well, I went In to my your favorite, your favorite diner. I went to your favorite restaurant and, uh, and was seated by a lovely hostess. And she said, she, well, she looked at my shirt, which is um, the cover of my book because I'm a shameless self-promoter and I thought it was hilarious. And she looks at my shirt and she goes, oh my God, I love that book. That's such a good book. And I went, no way, I wrote this book. And she goes, well, good job because it's a great book. And I said, thank you. I've been going to that place for four years. I have a Strange Little Place shirt, which you can find everywhere fine books are sold, <laughs> mostly Amazon. <laughs> and the only person who's ever noticed it, the only one, is the gal who works in the grocery store not far from my house, and that's because she's Christian and she wanted to lecture me about Jesus. <laughs> okay, well, you can solve this problem because I gave you a shirt with my book cover on it for your birthday because I'm kind that way, and you just need to wear it more, and then you would have these brushes with fame too. You'd be like, yeah, my friend wrote it. I would. I'm just saving it for when I finally get that chimpanzee so I can make it into its diaper. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, jealousy is an ugly thing. Uh, truly. <laughs> truly it is. I got to get the sleeves hemmed on that thing. I don't I don't like long sleeve shirts very much. Oh, so I well, do what I do. Uh, my forearms, it doesn't work. Oh, please. My forearms are bigger. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that was my, I, I was so excited because that has literally never happened. Well, that is very cool. You've had, you've been recognized by your voice though. Yeah. Uh, in the summertime, I was getting ready to do the ghost walk right and a family was there and i was selling tickets and then the mom came up to me after about five minutes and she's like do you have a podcast and I'm like, yes i do yes i do ma'am and yeah so i was like yeah i do and she's like oh that's so great and she went back and told her family and they couldn't have cared less so that course, was yeah an awesome moment yeah podcast celebrity is not really high up there not high on the list there's the the time i bumped into paul gross in an elevator is up here <laughs> I didn't even know who it was at the time. <laughs> I ever told you this story? No. So I, I was in the Sutton place in Vancouver. Yeah. Get in the elevator. And this fella gets on a couple right. floors down from mine. He steps on. I nod at him. I said, you going to the ground floor? He says, yeah. So I just hit the button again. And it was pouring rain that day. Yeah. So I said, man, this goddamn rain, eh? And he's, he looked at me funny. 
And he said, yeah, that's something else. And I looked, I don't know, I don't give a shit. I yeah. looked away back and he, I, he, I could feel him staring at me. And then I got off the elevator, checked out. That was the end of it. Well, then I'm on the, uh, I'm on the ferry going home, reading the newspaper and I go, oh, hey, the guy from the elevator's in the paper. And I, re- I see actor Paul Gross in town for premiere of Gunless. And you couldn't have cared less. Nope. And nope. he really wanted you to, apparently. I, I think he will. I, I think he was trying to figure out whether or not I was doing that, oh, you're famous, but I don't oh, care thing. Oh, right, but right, right. No, no, you genuinely. Not a clue. The only, I mean, I've had a couple of brushes with, with famous people, but my, I think my favorite was there was, um, I was at Chopper's Drug Mart in Toronto, uh, where I used to live down on Bloor Street. Right. I had a bunch of stuff and I looked behind me and there's this tiny little funny looking redheaded lady behind me. Right. And she had one thing and I'm like, oh, you know what? go in front. I've got like all this. And she's like, oh, are you sure? And I said, sure. So she goes up and she starts to pay and I see her in profile and I'm like, damn it. That's Margaret Atwood. Oh, really? Yeah. She lived <laughs> in the neighborhood. You saw quite a few actors and things like that in Toronto. You'd see them on the street. I guess or whatever. so. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But Margaret Atwood, I think was my favorite. Yeah. Oh, oh, except the other one. There's a show called Road to Avonlea and there's a character named Jasper Dale. Right. And I was dating this girl at the time and we're sitting on the streetcar and he gets on and sits down and she's like, oh my God, it's Jasper. I love him. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Because, you know, Toronto, you just leave people alone, right? Yeah. So I think it's like New York that way. You yeah. Just, you don't you care. S- no. This girl cared. Oh dear. So I, I'm looking out the window. I turn back to say something to her. She's now sitting beside him. Oh no. Grilling him on his favorite episodes, telling him all about her favorite episodes. And surprisingly, he got off at the next stop. I'm stunned. Yeah. He looked panicked and hunted and he fled. And he can't even, because he's a Canadian celebrity, he can't even afford a cab. No, exactly. (laughs) He has to take the bus. And so she comes back down and sits beside me. I'm looking at her like, who are you? And that was pretty much the end of it. I don't know what comes over people. I mean, I remember, uh, this is not exactly ghost story stuff, so we'll, we'll wrap it up here quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, Barbara Streisand and uh, James Brolin came right. to Revelstoke once. Why? And, uh, well, <laughs> you got to pass through there and go from one side to the other. And they were in the grocery store. Right. And as soon as one person noticed, it, I, now I wasn't there, I've heard the story. Right. But it was like an air raid siren. This woman just started screaming. For no reason. Oh god! And they he he paid and Barbara hustled out of there pretty damn quick. That's so sad that you live your life like a hunted animal. I know, right? I mean, it, it's not worth. And I wonder if you knew then what you know now about celebrity. I wonder if they would have worked so hard to get it. I figure they would. You I, th- think I think so? you kind of know going in. You must. You must. Know. I don't think you get the whole level of it though. Now uh, maybe. I know the one time I was recognized um, by my voice. Right. I was in the Bent Mass pub with Anthony. Right. And we're talking and I laughed. And all of a sudden this fella comes over and he says, excuse me, are, are you Brennan from the Ghost Story Guy? <laughs> Have I never told you this? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's he, fantastic. He's in the summer. He comes over and says, are you Brennan from the Ghost Story Guys? I said, oh, I am, yeah. And he said, oh, I just, we heard your laugh. We recognized your laugh. And so we wanted to come over and, and say hi. That's amazing. Did they buy you a beer? They did not. Eh, fuck them. <laughs> and folks, if you're still listening, by the way, thank you so much for coming up and saying hi. I thought I told the story on the show. No. Um, but uh, I, And if, then buy a spear. Yes, that, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. that's a given. But uh, yeah, if, if I was uh, a little weird, it's because that had never happened to me before. That's awesome. It was great. But the, the thing was, when it happened, all of a sudden I realized, man, I got to be careful what I say now. In public. True. You know, or you, how loud you say it. Or how loud I say it. <laughs> you just never know who's you listening. You don't. You really don't. 
Man. No, I know. So it's, That's uh, fun. Yes. Well, there you go. There is my big brush with fame right before Christmas. So Fantastic. I'm never taking the shirt off now. I'm going to have to order like 10 more so I can just cycle through them. I like to imagine that your body doesn't exist without clothes on. So that, that's <laughs> perfect for me. That's perfect for me too. So <laughs> we're on the same page. So we are uh, recording this way ahead. This is sort of our, we're technically on break right now. I know. So we are... Uh, what are we? I assume right now I'm probably enjoying some herbal refreshment and <laughs> playing video games. You mean kombucha? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. Do love a good kombucha. Yeah, and, and, and nibbling on a fresh sprig of mint. That's Absolutely. Sort of what I was thinking of when you said that. <laughs> because we're recording this so far in advance, we don't have a topic. Because we're recording this so far in advance, we decided to take this opportunity to share uh, something special with you guys that we received, I believe it was last month. Or no, this would be in November. Right. Or October we got this. Uh, this is our very first piece of physical fan mail. Yes. And uh, it was sent to us by a lady named Michelle, who had to send it a couple times before it got to us. Right. And we sent her a letter back. Uh, hopefully, Michelle, you've got that by now. Michelle has been a registered nurse for almost 30 years. And she sent us her stories, which are... All about people just about to cross mm, over. Yeah. And so on this episode, we are going to be sharing that letter with you and all these stories of people who are about to cross over. And it's, I think it's kind of reassuring in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because when I worked for the church a hundred years ago, I would do visitations and sometimes those were in hospitals or hospice. And yeah, there is a weird kind of energy around that, around that crossing over where it, it does feel like. Either someone's waiting for you or someone's ready to help you over or, yeah, it's a pretty neat phenomena. Yeah. So coming up after the break, crossing over. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode is going to be entirely based on a lengthy piece of listener mail we received, actual physical mail, which yeah. is bizarre because we have the mailbox. We do. Which we mostly use for business stuff. Yeah. But I just so want ordering free samples of cereal. Well, yeah. Because it's delicious. <laughs> Obviously. Can we do that? I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll give you the fucking, I'll give you the address. Perfect. Get us some cereal. <laughs> Or I'll write complaint letters to candy companies. It's <laughs> another one. That's right. Whatever it takes. Whatever it I takes want free, for free stuff. Free food. Just send us free food. <laughs> Anyways, so I check it infrequently, and one day this turned up, and I was pleasantly surprised because yeah. yeah, we don't normally get fun things in the mail. Um, and so this is a letter from a listener named Michelle. And as I said before the break, Michelle has been an RN, uh, which is of course registered nurse, mm -hmm. if you don't know, for quite a long time. And so we are just going to read first the letter she sent us. And after that, we're going to share her stories. Yeah. And then after that, I have one or two of my own, and I'm sure you may have some of yours as well. Love the dead people. We agree not to talk about that. No, right. <laughs> Our lawyer hasn't gotten back to us on what the statute oh of limitations is. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> you started it. I was just taking it to the hoop. You were taking it to the next level. That's right. Unfortunately, the next dunk. Yeah, that next level was down. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> All right, so 
This is the letter we received from Michelle. Hi, Ghost Story Guys. Thank you for your excellent podcast, which I discovered about 10 episodes in and foolishly binge listened to. I then realized I would now have to wait two weeks for more. <laughs> yes, there was a general wailing and gnashing of teeth, snarky comments on the Facebook page about episodes taking too long to appear, etc. <laughs> I've since seen other podcasters fall prey to giving into the clamor for more and more and more frequent and their quality has definitely suffered. Mm-hmm. So I begrudgingly say, keep doing what you're doing and stay quality over quantity, no matter how much we minions whine. Nice. Yeah, that's... I, I, and I, that is true. Yeah, oh, definitely. That is really true. No, we would... The show would stink if we tried to do it weekly. Yeah. We would kill each other. Pretty much. I'd kill myself and then you. <laughs> as long as it's in that order, I'm cool <laughs> Don't you doubt me, William. <laughs> I'm Michelle and I live in Michigan. I've been an RN for almost 30 years, the past 26 of them in hospice. Some people are sensitives. I consider myself an insensitive. I complain that I never see or hear anything paranormal. I guess I'm very intuitive, but I only realize it in hindsight. I'm not aware of internal or external voices warning me about things or directing me. I just bumble through life and when I have one of those moments when for some reason I take a step to the right as the grand piano falls where I've been standing, it's only then I think, oh, okay. That happens a lot. My poor guardian angel. (laughs) I used to be the entire third shift for a smaller hospice, triage and runner, which means I took all the calls and made any visits. And sometimes I had to go to the office at night, which meant going to an old hospital, part of which was being used for adult daycare and offices during the day. The only people in the building at night were security guard by the old ER entrance and me. I figured, walking through the halls of that empty old hospital, where I worked my first ever nursing job, in the middle of the night I would see or hear or sense something, but no. Although, when some people have asked why spirits would manifest to a loved one as a bird or butterfly as such instead of just showing up, I say because you'd have a damned heart attack if they just showed up. <laughs> exactly. And that's probably true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why they show up in dreams, too. Absolutely. It's less scary. Speaking of which, man, uh, on the night of the solstice, I had this dream that uh, Nikki and I were in our apartment. It didn't look like our apartment, but right. it was an apartment. And holy shit, there was this parade of people walking through there. Wow. It was, there was this old Spanish lady who I, whose voice, like, I, I couldn't understand what she was saying. There are these two emaciated little boys who were hiding their faces from me. There was an old man with pinholes for eyes and they were just walking through. It's like, like a Jeez. parade of people just. Bizarre. Yeah. I huh. don't, man, it was just a hell of a thing. Oof. I wonder if you're picking up on something, energy moving through. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, it's been crazy yeah the last couple days i mean the last couple weeks really with uh with um weird just things in, happening or feelings feelings yeah just weird yeah. feelings um yeah yeah no, i mean of course when i say recently i mean december yeah, yeah but yeah. uh yeah no leading up to the solstice has been pretty wild just hmm. lots of shit going on who knew in response to your request for stories i've submitted a few but there are so many i've probably forgotten they're not really ghost stories per se but are more extraordinary communication stories you may use all any or none Not sure they are really what you're looking for, but it was therapeutic for me to get them on paper. A few brought me to tears for the first time typing them out. I didn't expect that. Thanks, thanks, and thanks again for all the hours of enjoyment and the weeks of agony waiting in between. Health, blessings, and many years to you and your families. Michelle. Nice. Thank you so much, Michelle. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. Really lovely letter. But uh, the weird thing that happened a little while ago, I was out for a drive. And I think I actually told you about this the day after it happened because it weirded me out so much. Yeah. I was out for a drive and come around a corner, which ordinarily is part of my drive home. But when I come around the corner, all the lights were off. Hmm. All of them. Houses, streetlights. It was like a line in the road. Right. 
And ordinarily I'd think, well, who cares? You know, whatever, it's fine. But I got a real sense of no, hmm. don't be here right now. So I, I took a different route. A few minutes later, I was in James Bay, a couple blocks from home. I was waiting at a stoplight, listening to a podcast. Right. When I realized at the edge of my awareness, not on the podcast, cause I rewound it, I was hearing music, hmm. some kind of chanting almost. Right. But the second I tried to tune into it, it was gone. Hmm. It was almost like once, if I wasn't paying attention to it, it was there. Right. The, but the second I really tried to listen, gone. Like seeing something on your periphery, but when you turn to focus on it, there's nothing there. Yeah. Just yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 And so when I got home, I, uh, I thought, well, I'm not going out again tonight. No. And I happened to have a look on the internet and yes, the power was out in that area that I'd driven past. Yeah. But BC Hydro didn't know why. Oh, wow. They said, we assume it's because of the storm, but we haven't identified the cause yet. Hmm. And I genuinely think someone was having a party over there. Wow. And it was just, I was not welcome to take part in that. Wow. It Yikes. was, it was strange. Yeah, that would be. All right. So we're going to start sharing Michelle's stories. You want to take the first one? Sure. This first one is called the social worker story. A young social worker with whom I worked came into the office one day and in the course of our conversation related the following experience. She told me that she just made a visit to a dying patient and had been sitting in a chair at the patient's bedside facing the patient lying in the bed, being present, as there was no one else in the room and the patient was minimally to non-responsive. She said that as she sat there looking at the patient, in her peripheral vision toward the head of the patient's bed, she could see a bright light. However, when she turned to look in that direction, there was no light or light source. Wow, we just talked about this. When she looked back at the patient, the light was there, in her peripheral vision again. She looked back and forth several times, each time sensing the light while looking toward the patient and seeing no light or light source when she looked toward the head of the bed. What made such an impression on me about this experience was the particular person who related it. Another person telling me this story might simply have elicited a, wow, cool, but I was profoundly affected by this story because this young woman was so down to earth and actually had a psychotherapy practice in addition to her hospice work. I think about this experience she shared with me frequently, and it occurred over 20 years ago. I find it fascinating that this, these experiences are being had by people who have therapy practices. Yeah. Who have sort of the, the basic underpinnings of how the mind works nailed down. Yeah. But, mental illness markers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they still have these experiences and still are open to them. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I had beers with a guy a couple of years ago in Chicago and he is, uh, he's got a PhD, I think in psychology. And we were talking about, I, at the time I, we didn't have the show, but I was, I had the book and, or was writing the book and he of course complete non-believer. Right. You know, he, I was describing certain things to him and he said, no, I can tell you exactly where that comes from in the mind. Right. And so it's fascinating to hear he is sort of him who, again, he's a young guy who's just gotten his PhD and he's got it all figured out. Of course. And then someone who's been in the field working for years understands there's maybe more. Exactly. Built around that. I think that's generally humans. Of course. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I heard her call me. I have gotten hundreds of calls over the years from loved ones and caregivers reporting a patient's death. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to the patient's residence within half an hour to an hour of their call and had the family or caregiver tell me, I checked on her, then went to lie down for a while or sat down in the recliner in the room and I dozed off. I woke up when I heard her call me and when I went to see what she needed, yeah. she was gone. Yeah. Oh, you've, you've heard this too, eh? Oh yeah. 
In checking the patient, I then note that the body is cold and in full or partial rigor. In other words, they weren't physically calling anyone within the past hour. I would comfort the family member or caregiver and assure them that I had no doubt they had heard the patient or something call them, but that the patient had been gone for quite a while. I don't question things like this anymore. They're far too common. Yeah, and it's usually the person leaves the room. My mom, even as she was nursing her husband, she nursed him right up to the end. And uh, she went down for breakfast. Right. And when she got back, he was gone. And that's really common. People will wait until they are alone because part part of it is they don't want to upset right. whoever they're with. And in the same way, they will also hold on. They'll right. Wait for family members to show up. So, yeah. I remember um, when my grandmother was dying, my, my paternal grandmother, she was a tough lady. And, you know, when she was dying, they, they kept saying, and this is maybe... It's a little bit mean, but it was, it was almost comical because they were saying, oh, she's waiting for so-and-so to get here. Right. And then that person would arrive and she'd still hang on. And then she'd think, oh, she must be waiting for someone else to get here. <laughs> and that person would get here. It's like, no, she's just a tough old lady. Yeah. Man, she's yeah. going to die when she's ready to die. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, sometimes that can be a bit of a, a bit of a goof. Well, and the other thing that I, I found, like when I was doing hospital visiting and things, families would be keeping sort of the death watch waiting for their loved one to go and then the person would suddenly wake up and start talking and maybe eat something and the poor family is like oh they're getting better oh, we're gonna take yeah. them home and then 24 hours later dead last minute rally um and it is it's almost nature's way of saying okay get your shit together get your house in order because it's time to go yeah and the body gives you this sort of one little last bit of time but I really wish that people were more aware of that so that when it happens to them, they're not thinking, oh, well, grandma was doing so well and yeah. then she died. Um, but to be able to recognize it for what it is and, and to be grateful for that and then let the process go where it's got to go. Yeah, very much so. Well, this next story is called Grandma's Not Going Gently. Grandma's Not Going Gently. Then there was the time I got a call from a young woman who was taking care of her grandmother and was awakened in the middle of the night by her grandmother calling out loudly. She went out to the sofa in the living room where her grandmother had been sleeping to find her agitated and demanding, get that light out of my eyes. The granddaughter asked her, Grandma, what light? And the patient told her, the bright light, turn it off. There were no lights on in the room. So the granddaughter asked her, Grandma, did you see Grandpa in the light? also naming off several other deceased family members, including a dearly departed family dog. The grandmother said, yes, yes, they were all there. But when the granddaughter told her, Grandma, go to Grandpa, you can go to the light. Grandma yelled, no, I'm not going, I don't want to go. And that's when she called me. I told her to reassure the patient that she didn't have to go anywhere and had her give her something to help her get back to sleep. We laughed about her grandmother's response and it was definitely not her time. She did die within the next day or two. Hopefully not kicking and screaming. I personally was very comforted that she saw the family dog in the light. <laughs> I love that. Creaking floorboards. One night I got a call from the daughter of a man about 50 miles away who was actively dying and in the last few hours of his life and the family was getting nervous and concerned and wanted to be sure they were doing everything they could to keep him comfortable. I knew how this night would go. I would drive down there, assure them they were doing a great job, drive all the way back home and then have to turn around and go back for the death call one of Murphy's laws of hospice. I arrived at the home and was shown upstairs to the patient's room, up an exquisitely squeaky staircase and across a similar bedroom floor. They laughed. Everyone commented on it. They said, Dad always joked he wouldn't fix it because no one could ever sneak in on him. 
The patient was very near death, and a lot of people were in the room. I mean a lot. Wife sitting on the edge of the bed, several adult children, their spouses and kids, and even some nephews, nieces and siblings. Even in the patient's extremely poor condition, I watched him reach up and put his hand on someone's chest and try to push them away when they tried to bend down and embrace or talk to him. I watched the wife, who in her grief-stricken state sat mindlessly stroking the patient's forehead. I motioned three of the adult children to follow me into the hallway and quietly asked them, is your dad a really touchy-feely kind of guy or is your mom just going to drive him crazy? They glanced into the room and at each other and said, it's probably driving him crazy. I told them to try to get everyone out of the room and give their dad some space and time alone. I suggested getting everyone downstairs to the kitchen and taking a break, maybe getting something to eat, and I explained to them that some people will not let go as long as there are people in the room and that their dad seemed really overstimulated and irritated by all the activity. They agreed and said they would see what they could do. I drove the 50 miles home. After I'd gotten back to bed and was asleep, maybe 20 minutes, of course, I got the death call. Oh, no. As I pulled up in front of the home and got out of my car, one of the daughters came running out of the house and went across the lawn and met me. She said, I know you must hear a lot of stories, but I have to tell you this. She explained how she and her siblings had gotten everyone to go down to the kitchen to get something to eat. They were all sitting around the big kitchen table eating and talking when suddenly they heard the floor upstairs start to creak loudly, as if someone were walking across it. They all stopped talking, looked up, and listened to the creaking. The patient's wife suddenly said, he's out of bed, which broke the spell. The kids looked at her incredulously and said, mom, he's not out of bed. Two of the daughters decided they would go upstairs and check on dad. The daughter telling me the story out in the front yard said, when we got up there, he was gone. He died while we were all downstairs. I told her I figured he was waiting for everyone to leave the room before he left, and that it sounded as though he somehow got up and left. And by not fixing his squeaky floor, not even he could sneak out. <laughs> I guarantee this is an absolute favorite story in this family and it's probably been told hundreds of times. I also think that when the loved ones have an extraordinary experience such as this, it takes the edge off their grief just a bit and is reassuring or, or affirming in some way. Mm -hmm. As in the story of the caregiver hearing the patient call out and awaken them, I'm not surprised but always amazed at the unmistakable signs that are sometimes given to loved ones and caregivers to alert them to the death. In the case of the creaky floor, it was a sign at least 15 people heard at the same time. That's pretty cool. Wow. That's amazing. That is. I and like that. I think that's uh, something I enjoyed about these stories is it, it is reassuring. Yeah. And it is affirming. Yeah. And uh, I mean, do I think there's a floaty cloud place where everyone's playing harps? No, don't be stupid. What? Really? Oh, no. You're going there, champ. Oh, okay. Good. And to the rabbit farm. <laughs> think of the rabbit story. <laughs> amazing assistance. I received a call one morning from a man who was reporting he thought his mother had passed away. When I arrived at the residence, buses were lining up at an elementary school across the street as the sun was coming up. The family directed me to the patient's bedroom and a young adult granddaughter asked if I needed any help. I told her to let me see what I could do and if I needed her, I would come and get her. The patient was a tiny, frail, elderly lady in a queen-sized bookcase headboard bed. It looked like she'd been resting on her right side when she died. Her body relaxed forward so that she was almost face down, which is really unusual. She was covered with layers of sheets and blankets and a puffy white comforter so that all I could initially see was her long flowing snow white hair. The bookcase headboard was crammed with all sorts of stuff. Books, clocks, pill bottles, framed photos, papers, cups, lamps, you name it. The top of it was littered with items too. The body was still warm, but when I uncovered and turned her, I was horrified to see that because of the position she'd settled into, lividity had already turned her face purple. One eye had been forced open by the pillow and was wide and staring, and the skin of her face was stretched and distorted. She looked awful. 
I've done a lot of postmortem care and nothing phases me, but I was having a panic attack. I could not allow the family to see her like this. While I tried to calm down, I started working on getting her hair entangled, discovering that she had dozens of old-fashioned hairpins buried in her thick hair. I began pulling hairpins out while trying to get her eye to close, to no avail. At one point, there was a light knock on the bedroom door, and the granddaughter asked if I was still okay. No. And I told her I was fine, and I wouldn't be much longer, and prayed she didn't open the door. While I was working on getting the patient's hair entangled and getting her otherwise cleaned up, a small bottle fell off the top of the headboard. I picked it up off the bed and replaced it, feverishly working on what now felt like hundreds of hairpins and worrying how I was going to prepare the family. Again, as I worked, the same bottle fell off the headboard and onto the bed, and I picked it up and put it back. As I got her into a fresh gown and got her positioned, the bottle fell off a third time, and I grabbed it off the bed, angrily at that point, clenched my teeth, and shaking the bottle in front of my face, growling and thinking, damn it, stop, I don't need this right now. And then I looked at the bottle for the first time and froze. I couldn't even breathe. It was a bottle of artificial tears. I probably stood there staring at it for a good ten seconds before I took a breath and whispered aloud, Thank you. I worked with the artificial tears and a tissue on that staring eye, and it closed beautifully. As I finished dressing and positioning, fanning her hair around her on the pillow, and pulling up the comforter up to her chest and folding her hands on it, even the hor horrible purple lividity drained out of her face, her skin smoothing out, and she looked beautiful. I could hardly believe the transformation. I'm not sure who or what helped me out that morning, but I'm eternally grateful that the family didn't have to see their loved one as she was when I arrived. I am sure, however, that whomever it was, they were wishing there was a two-by-four on the headboard, because I certainly wasn't paying attention to them throwing a bottle at me. I always carried artificial tears with me on death visits after that. Wow. Wow. That is so cool. That is really cool. So not it wasn't even the family that had the paranormal experience. It was actually sure. her. That's cool. For someone who says they haven't had paranormal experiences. She said a lot. No kidding. <laughs> Being there at exactly the right moment. 1. If I get messages or signs regarding what I'm meant to do, well, as evidenced by the preceding story, I sure as hell don't know it. I am seriously clueless. It works out, though, frequently. At the end of a busy day full of home visits to patients, I was finally heading back to the office in the last hour of my shift when I realized I was going right by one of my newer patients' homes, less than a mile from the office. I turned to block past the home, called the family, and told them I was going to be going right by their house in a minute, and would they mind me stopping by. They said that would be great, so I drove around the block and back to their house for a completely unplanned visit. The patient was a man of the house, and his wife and daughter were there with him. He was sitting up in a hospital bed in the living room, resting, alert, and oriented. I asked him how he was doing, and he didn't have any complaints. The wife and daughter also confirmed everything was going okay so far. I began my assessment by taking his vital signs, checking his blood pressure and heart rate, as I did this, he suddenly clenched his teeth and squeezed his eyes shut, not making a sound, but his face turning such a dark purple it was almost black. The wife and daughter were at the other end of the small living room behind me, and I leaned over the bed to block their view of their husband and father as they started asking, What's wrong? What's happening? I fumbled for the bed controls and lowered the head of the bed slightly. It was over in less than a minute. I turned to them, shocked myself, and told them I thought he was gone. They burst into tears of shock and grief, but cried out, Oh my god, I'm so glad you were here. I stood there in shock as I tried to comfort them, thinking, shit, so am I. 
We'll never know exactly what type of event took that poor man's life at that exact moment. But I know if I hadn't been there, the family would have freaked out mm-hmm. seeing what happened and had to call 911, putting themselves through all sorts of things they didn't need to go through now. Yeah. So I know why I was there, but how? Two. Similarly, I had a new patient once who'd just been admitted to the program the day before, and we always make a second contact within 24 hours to see how things are going and if they have any questions, because a lot of information is dumped on them that first day. I think another RN had done the admission the day before, and it was my first meeting with the family. I introduced myself to the patient, his wife and adult daughter and son. The patient was lying in a hospital bed in the living room of the home. The wife, who was blind, was seated at the dining room table a few feet away. I was standing on the patient's right, and across the bed from me, the daughter was standing on his left. I'd been there less than 10 minutes. The daughter was chatting away to me across the bed over her dad as I took his blood pressure, which was so low it set off alarms in my head. I looked back up at the daughter who continued to chat away, then back down at the patient who suddenly went into an agonal respiratory pattern, his mouth opening and his shoulders rising with each labored breath. He took a deep double breath and then let out a long sigh. I looked up at the daughter who had continued to talk oblivious until she saw my shocked (laughs) expression. And she suddenly stopped confused. I said, I think he's gone, forgetting the wife sitting there was blind and couldn't see what was happening. She let out a high-pitched, keening wail that caused both the daughter and me to jump, and then the patient took another gasping breath. We hurriedly got the wife over to the bedside so she could hold him as he took his last breaths. Again, through their tears and shock, I heard, Oh my God, I'm so glad you were here. I'm never sure who is more shocked, the family at the death or me getting there within five or ten minutes of it. (laughs) No kidding. Three. At the risk of looking like an angel of death, I got got a call one night from a patient's son-in-law reporting that the patient had coughed up a little blood and they were concerned. When I arrived at the home, the patient was seated in his recliner in jeans, a t-shirt and a flannel shirt, in no discomfort or distress. If he was on oxygen, he wasn't wearing it. He had noticed a few spots of blood on a tissue earlier when he coughed. His vital signs were normal. We talked a little about what could cause his sign and symptoms and planned for his case manager to follow up with him the next day. I was getting ready to leave, standing in front of him in his recliner talking to him, when suddenly he looked up toward the ceiling. I knew exactly what was happening, and all I could say was, "Uh uh-oh. He coughed once or twice, a little blood sprang onto his shirt, and he was dead. This was a guy who had been out walking his dog a few hours before. Wow. This case sort of illustrates another very frequent thing I've seen over the years, and that is the family's intuition or gut feeling. Hundreds of times the family will call saying, I'm not even sure why I'm calling. I don't know why I'm calling. Or, can you come over? I don't know what it is, but something isn't right. And when I get there, a death occurs, or there is some major change in condition that shocks the family, Mm. but that they sensed somehow and called. If I hadn't been at this death, things could have gotten really out of control, as at least one family member had an extreme reaction and started acting out. Oh, wow. Death, you know, it's a sort of a sad fact is death can bring out the worst in people. Oh, death and money. Yo, well, especially money after death. Oh, nightmare. I have, I have seen more families torn apart by that. Yeah. It's the only time my brother and I ever had conflict. Really? Yeah. It was when my dad died 20 years ago and we were co-executors. Right. And yeah, it was the only time we've ever come close to conflict is because we had a very different approach to it. Right. And uh, yeah, that was, whew, oh, we got man. through it. It's all good. On my mother, when she, when my stepfather passed, he was yeah. you know, older than her and, uh, he had five grown kids who were, and when I say grown, I mean, they were in their forties and fifties right? who all of, you know, some of them successful in business, yeah. most of them doing fine. Again, not disabled in any way, just yeah. adults, adult human beings. He told them, he said, uh, you know, Brennan's mother, he said, she, I'm not going to say her name, but yeah. she works constantly yeah. and he said, I'm not a wealthy man, but what I have, I want her to have so she can work a little bit less. Right. And they sued. 
<gasps> he gave them all his possessions otherwise. Yeah. He gave them his, because he had been a gold miner and then a consultant on mining his whole life. Right. So he gave them all his gold, his watch he got yeah. made from the first gold he ever yeah. found, his guns, his boat, um, all, all, his, all that stuff, all his tools, he gave them all that. But when he said, well, I'm going to leave the rest to yeah. my wife, they went nuts and they sued. And one of the sons was technically an executor, so he couldn't be part of the suit, but he was part of the decision to wow. sue. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, people it was garbage. Oh, it was disgusting. Yeah. It was truly, and honestly, I've seen this happen with other people. So mm -hmm. I would feel this way, even if it wasn't my mother. Yeah, no, I know. And she eventually settled because she said, I don't care. This was never about the money. No. So no, take no. it, you yeah. know, just, I want to be left to grieve in peace. Yeah. Um, and, but I've seen that time and time again. Yeah. It just brings out the worst in people. Yeah. But, uh, thankfully we have people like Michelle. Yeah, there, there you go. Shepherd these folks out through their last minutes <laughs> so they don't have to watch their families being dipshits. The Monarch. I arrived at one death call to be told by the wife of the patient, his two sons, and a daughter-in-law that they were waiting for the patient's daughter to arrive, and she didn't know her father had died. They'd called her and told her he wasn't doing well and she needed to come. The plan was for one of the sons to meet her outside when she arrived and break the news. I pronounced the patient and did what I had to do to get him ready then went out into the kitchen and sat at the table to make the necessary phone calls and do the ever-present paperwork. As I sat there, I noticed a huge monarch butterfly clinging to the screen of the window next to the kitchen table. It was so beautiful and completely still. I asked the family if they'd seen it as they went back and forth, and they commented on the size and colors also. I sat there at the table working and then just waiting for the daughter's arrival for probably an hour, frequently looking at the butterfly, which never moved. One of the sons heard his sister's car pull into the drive and went out to meet her. They came in tearful, and he introduced her to me. I offered my condolences, and the family went into the room where their husband and father was. I sat down at the kitchen table as I watched them go. Then I looked over at the window. The monarch was gone. Again, it could be a delightful coincidence, but could it also have been a manifestation of the father's spirit waiting for his daughter to arrive? I like to think so. Yeah, I like to think so too. Yeah, that's great. Actually, I know someone that happened to, uh, similarly, uh, a friend of mine who's elderly, her husband passed a few years ago. Right. And ever since then, when the family is together, there are these monarch butterflies. Wow. And it, w it started happening separately too. Right. When they, you know, they, uh, butterflies on their truck or... Yeah. And again, could just be butterflies, but yeah. I mean, I've never seen a monarch butterfly in real life. Oh, okay. You know, it's not like, it's, I mean, I'm sure they're common, but yeah. again, it's not like something I've stumbled into. Right. Because um, your cats eat them all. Ah, that, there is that, yeah. <laughs> there is that. I never go outside too. That well, else. there's that during the day, yeah. <laughs> and why not entertain that possibility? Absolutely. If it brings you some measure Absolutely. of relief, then go for it. Yeah. Dad stories. Okay, here are a few stories that I believe were my dad checking in from the other side in the first year or so after he died in 2013. The Clock One day while visiting my mom, probably about six months after my dad died, she told me that she had been in the kitchen and heard the clock my dad had received on his retirement chiming in the living room. She said she went into the living room and saw that their cat, who'd been sleeping in one of the chairs, was standing in the chair with his front paws on the arm of the chair, looking at the clock. So far, I'm not sure of the point of the story. She then goes on to tell me that the original works in the clock had stopped working years ago and that they had taken it to a shop having the works removed and one of those little black plastic boxes put in it so it would now be battery operated. It didn't have chimes anymore. 
I'm still rolling my eyes and saying, Mom, no, come on. I'm not buying any of this and thinking, oh, brother. I'm sitting at the kitchen table shaking my head over the coffee. When in she comes, carrying the clock, setting it on the table in front of me, and opening the back door on it, revealing the little black battery-operated box powering the hands, and absolutely nothing else inside. Wow. Huh. Uh, my grandparents had two or three grandfather clocks in their house. Right. Terrified me. Really? Just that thing bonging away in the dark yeah, family room at midnight? Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. not okay. Yeah, I get that. The radio. So another time when I'm over visiting my mom, I'm leaving and I don't even have my own vehicle. I'm driving my husband's for some reason, which is pretty rare. His was the newest model in the family and had the kind of radio in it, which has a display that shows the name of the artist and name of the song when you have it on a music station, either toggling back and forth between the two or as a crawl moving across the display. I only explain this for people like me who are still driving vehicles from 1997 and 2009 before this amazing technology. <laughs> uh, funny enough, I just bought a CD from Steel City Ruins and when I put it in, it gives you the option of picking which track to start on and, and I was just blown away by this technology. That's funny. <laughs> I get in the car and back out of the driveway as a Joe Walsh song, Life's Been Good, is ending. I happen to glance down at the display which reads, George. My dad's name. I watch this as I leave their subdivision. The song ends and a Steve Miller band song, Jungle Love, starts. Still, the display says, George. Huh. I end up driving about eight blocks in all with George before the display finally changes and starts reading out Steve Miller band. Of course, I was on my cell phone talking to my mom about it at the time. I assume that was dad saying, hey. Or it could be coincidence. Who knows? I like that. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Looking for this? Not sure if this was my dad in particular or one of the many other deceased family or friends who know what an airhead I am. I'm dating myself, but I have a watch I really love. Who wears watches anymore? I wear a watch. Mm, I wear a watch. I guess we're old. We are. Yeah, fair. And it has a decorative little crystal piece attached to the metal on the face of it, which I noticed one day was gone. I felt sick about it, knowing because it was so small and could have fallen off anywhere that I would never find it. I figured I would have to try and contact the company if I really wanted to replace it because it really made the watch. About a year later, I was in my living room and heard something hit the wood floor about six feet behind me. It sounded like someone put their arms straight out from their body and dropped something small and hard onto the floor, but obviously there was no one there. I walked over to the area where the sound seemed to have come from and looked around. There, on the floor, lay the missing piece of my watch. I was stunned. I said, thanks, Dad, and glued it back on, in place. Was it there the whole time? Did something jar it loose? Who knows? Wow. Cool. I've, I've heard so many stories about that. Yeah. I, I yeah, wholly believe that it went away and came back. Who yeah. knows where? Yeah. Or no. that she lost it and then it was returned. Yeah. I love that. Barb stories. My parents lived next to Barb and her husband for 60 plus years. I grew up with their daughter. We were born two months apart and Barb died in 2009. At Barb's funeral, during which there was a power failure in town, which included the funeral home and which would have cracked her up. Her niece eulogized her and did a beautiful job. One story she told about was how she loved Aunt Barb's tuna salad, which included olives. And one day as a young girl, she was going to make tuna salad for her dad, just like Aunt Barb. When she proudly served her dad his tuna salad sandwich, it became a classic and frequently told story in the family when he discovered she'd made it with whole olives instead of chopped. <laughs> My husband and I went to the luncheon afterwards, and later on that night didn't feel like cooking, so we got a takeout pizza from the local chain. We were sitting across the table from each other when I reached out to take a second piece of pizza, and as I lifted it, I heard a thunk. 
I looked up at him and he was looking at me, both confused. And we both looked down at the pizza where a whole green olive sat in the middle of the box after just having fallen off the piece I took. Our confused look turned to amazement and I said, hey, Barb's saying she's okay. Ha. I've never seen a whole olive on a pizza and I happen to know the local chain buys bulk slice olives. So... Oh, interesting. Yeah. Couldn't be a coincidence. Barb's daughter contacted me after her mom's death and told me that she was walking down their very long rural driveway one day to go out to the mailbox, and up ahead in the driveway was a goldfinch standing there. Barb loved goldfinches and always had multiple thistle seed feeders in her backyard. Her daughter told me she'd never seen goldfinches in the part of the state in which she lives. She continued to walk slowly towards the bird, and when she was about six feet from it, she stopped and said, Good morning, Mom. She said the bird tripped a few times and then flew off. And she also believes it was an I'm okay sign from her mom. Just one more. And just because I think this is my favorite, definitely in the top three. It's not a ghost story or even an extraordinary communication story. I think I love it so much because the relationship between the two brothers reminds me of my own brother and me. And because it's so cool, that one's sense of humor really is the one of the last things to go. To set the scene, I was admitting a man to our home hospice program, and not a timely admission for whatever reason. The doctor not referring when he or she should have, the patient or family putting it off, whatever. After assessing the patient, I could see that death was imminent. This guy wasn't going to get all the benefits he could out of the hospice, but we'd give him what we could in his last hours. He was already bedbound, very weak and very fatigued, sleeping most of the time now. As I thought I was finishing up, the wife made the comment, I don't know how we're going to get him to his appointment. I looked at her and asked, what appointment? She replied, well, the doctor told us he wants to see him in eight weeks, and he can't even walk. Silently cursing this gutless physician, I sighed and motioned the wife into the kitchen, saying, I need to talk to you. She had no clue as to the patient's condition or prognosis, even though the patient had just been discharged from the hospital. I explained to her his grave prognosis based on my observations. She was stunned. She said, you mean he won't be here for Christmas? It was the middle of November. I told her, he won't be here for Thanksgiving. He probably won't be here this weekend. The information was crashing down on her, but I could see her marshalling her internal forces and seeing what she had to do. Thank you so much for telling me this, she said quietly. I really appreciate it. Because she had this information, she was able to get the patient's children and other family members there in time to see the patient before he died late the next day. I made the death visit. There was a lot of family members present, and it was a relaxed, supportive scene, sad but positive, with laughter as they reminisced. I had pronounced the patient and then withdrawn to a far corner to make phone calls and do paperwork while awaiting the funeral home, and I listened to them tell stories. The patient's brother related a story from a visit he'd had with his brother in the past couple of days. He said he was at his brother's bedside when the patient said, Hey, you know that recipe we always said we needed to get from mom before she died, but no one ever did? I'll be able to get it now when I see her in heaven. The brother said, What if she didn't go to heaven? Without missing a beat, the patient answered, Well, then I guess you'll have to get it from her when you die. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man, what a great note to end on. I love that. Oh. That is really funny. Well, so those are the stories that Michelle sent in. Thank you, and Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much. That was, uh, that was just a whole experience. And I love those kinds of stories. Yeah, it's, me too. Like I said, it's reassuring, it's fun, and just reminds you that 
Like we always like to say, the world's a lot weirder than we like to give it credit for It being. really, really is. Well, we shared something today. Aw. <laughs> Let's Don't. not do that again. No, no. no. Ooh. Ooh. Emotions are gross. Cover that up. Ooh. Back into the box, lock her up, barrier deep. <laughs> That's right. Onward with dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Michelle. We're going to take a quick break and uh, I'll come back with the end of the show. Welcome back. Thanks to our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain, who had to do zero work for the show. <laughs> Bless their hearts. Bless them. But they've been, they've been working on other stuff. You so bet. never think they stop working because I won't let them. <laughs> work, you animals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as we mentioned, we're recording this show uh, before Christmas. Yeah. So we don't have any listener mail to share. We nope. don't have any patron shout outs to share. Oh, actually, that's not true. We do have one patron shout out that uh, came in after the last show. And I, I would and like what to... a great way to start the new year, but supporting the arts through Patreon. Right? I think so. Patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. You can do it. It doesn't take a lot, but it makes a huge difference. In Absolutely. the lives of hungry children. Oh, no, wait. That's li- something else. In the, in the lives of hungry, of hungry podcasters. podcasters. And we're always hungry. Oh, so true. <laughs> we got to get some food after this. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patron. That is Phyllis Ekoff. Yay, Phyllis. Thank you so much, Phyllis, uh, for your support. You help keep the lights on here, help us pay the bills, and right. keep us in fried chicken. And, <laughs> and firewood for the tiny mountain cabin. Of course, that too. Yeah, it's not cheap. No. <laughs> no. Those so, mountain men are ruthless. I'm telling you. <laughs> profiteers. This peak capitalism is what it is. <laughs> so thank you, everyone who supports us on Patreon. We... We, we launched the Patreon. I guess we can, we can really kind of keep, treat this as our end of the year show. Yeah. So we launched the Patreon in August and it, it took a lot of convincing for Ian to get me oh to do this. Oh my God. Uh, you know, he, he, he brought this up to me a few times and I said, I'm not, I'm not there. And then finally, finally. I asked the right question. He asked the right question. <laughs> he said, why do you not want to do this? And I had, I don't know, roughly 12 pages of, of concerns and reasons, because yeah. this is how I do things. But by the time you got to the end of it, you were, even in your response to me, you were saying, yeah, yeah, we need to do this. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, No, like anything. Ask the right question, I'll get there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and we've seen it grow from, since we launched it in August, we've seen it grow from nothing to now we have, we have the support of... Something like, of 86 people. 86 people. And. That's amazing. It's, it's incredible. And not only that, we've had some people who've supported us and then been unable to continue. Yeah. And we even, we appreciate them too. Yeah. We appreciate that you, that you cared enough to help out even a bit. Yeah. Again, I can't tell you what that means to us. It's completely changed the way we do the show in in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, it's, it's allowed us some flexibility with certain things. Uh, certainly it's allowed us to enhance the Patreon, you know, without having the initial support, we wouldn't have the $20 tier, yep. which is becoming more popular. Yeah. And yeah, so we just want to thank all of you, uh, from the bottom of our heart for helping out last year. 
And uh, it just, again, it's it's life-changing. I, I was paying, well, we were both paying for the show out of pocket. Mostly you. Mostly me. Yeah. And it gets expensive. And I didn't realize how expensive it was I know. Until I did the spreadsheet. I know. And then you're like, oh, crap. This is why I'm always broke. This is right. why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no. So it, it and that that is no longer the case. And that's, again, that's thanks to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we've really seen a real change too this year. I mean, I, I say this year. Fuck, I'm going to say this year. You know what I mean. Yeah. Because we've gone from an average of, you know, say, uh, once upon a time, a good show for us was about 300 downloads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we'd be thrilled with that. Absolutely. And now an average show gets about 4,200. Oh my Lord. And sure. We're still tiny compared to anything. Yeah. Really. really. To any show. We're still, you know, tiny, but we, it, it's so gratifying to know that people are out there getting something out of this, enjoying this, sharing it with their friends, yeah. sharing it with their loved ones. I don't care how many people yeah. are listening. It, yeah. It's as long as you're enjoying it at that level, it's worth it. And there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. No, and and keep that in mind. Keep sharing. That's honestly, we don't have advertising. No, that's it. So keep sharing because that's the only way the show is going to get bigger and better. And we want to do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's going to do it. I don't know. The, oh, you have. Oh, what, what am I? Who am I saying? You have an announcement. I do. Bring it on. Um, in the early part of January, I will be signing a book contract to do Vancouver's Most Haunted. Nice. Appearing in stores fall of 2020. That is friggin' cool. Right? I can't believe it. I'm so excited. So if you have any stories from Vancouver. Please. Greater Vancouver area. I need them. Send them. Please. Send them to ghostoryguys at gmail.com. Just mark it for uh, for Ian. Yeah. And we'll make sure that he gets them. He reads email anyways. Yeah. And yeah, that's great. I've, I've been wanting to tell everyone for a month now. I've known about this and I've had to keep quiet. No, I'm pretty excited. It's um, it's looking like it will not be the only book either. It looks like there's going to be a few more. So yes. I am excited about that. That is so cool. Yeah. So and thanks to Touchwood and, and um, the team there for supporting me. Touchwood. Nothing dirty, Brennan. Touchwood. Hashtag Team Throbbing Wood. Uh, Tori, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Which means I get to see more of Tori. This is always fun. That is true. We can harass her while I promote yeah, your book. Absolutely. So yes, again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. If you have any stories you'd like to share for an upcoming Listener Stories episode, uh, if you want to help you out collecting stories for Vancouver's Most Haunted, again, that's yeah. where you can reach us. Yeah. We're available on Instagram and Facebook, uh, both of which are Ghost Story Guys. I'm on Instagram at Large of the Truth. Ian is perfectly aware of what Instagram is. Yeah, it's uh, something with pictures, I think. That's the one. <laughs> We're on Twitter at Ghost Story Guys. We don't really use it very much. No, Twitter's dead, let's be real. Sure. <laughs> if you want to reach me on Twitter, I'm at Large of the Truth. But uh, even though we are technically releasing this in 2019, we're going to say thank you so much for all your support in 2018. Yeah. We had a ton of fun bringing you the show. I can't wait to see what we do in the new year. Yeah. Where you help take us and the uh, whole world's in front of us. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. We will be back in two weeks with our 50th episode. Oh my Lord. I cannot believe it. Yeah. And technically the beginning of our third year. <laughs> wow. So we'll be back in two weeks and until then, into the darkness we go.
and the patient was minimally and the patient was minimally <laughs> fuck <laughs> no come on no. every mountain cabin needs a grandfather clock i would rather die <laughs> seems like a pretty strong choice i'm a ma- i firmly believe in committing you pick a thing and you commit 